हमें कोई भी कानून बनाने के लिए या कोई भी संकल्प लेकर आने के लिए कोई नहीं रोक सकता आप क्रोनोलॉजी समझ लीजिए पहले सीए भी आने जा रहा सीए भी आने के बाद एनआरसी आएगा और एनआरसी सिर्फ बंगाल के लिए नहीं आएगा पूरे देश के लिए आएगा मेरी सरकार आने के बाद 2014 से आज तक एनआरसी शब्द पर कोई चर्चा नहीं हुई कोई बात नहीं हुई Alright, so welcome to a new episode of the next big thing. This episode will be a little different from our past episodes in the sense that this will be more of an interview and less of a discussion. So for the past one month, the CAA and the backlash against it has been the biggest political event in India. My initial reading of this event was that this is a movement against a government policy, mostly led by the people who are directly affected by it. But what caught my attention was. a direct involvement and a large involvement of the middle class youth which says that something larger is at stake here so today with me i have three engineers from bangalore who have been actively involved in the protests against ca we'll be talking to them about their opinions regarding the act and their experiences in the protests against the act so starting with gogo gogo if you could let us know how this act has affected you and at what point did you start getting involved in this issue hi uh, my name is navarun gogoi i am currently in bangalore so i'm from assam and how this issue really comes up is the fact that it's very personal for me for example when ca got passed and it became an act there was a lot of turbulence back home and that was before for example jamia had happened or any other incident across the country and even come up because of which not many people knew about what was going on and for me personally i knew what was going on because my state and most of the districts back home had been put under curfew and under section 144 and internet was shut down and i knew that my home guwahati had become a type of a war zone where it was all very horrible and at that point of time i think i felt helplessness which i had never felt before in my life where my voice didn't matter because there was no one listening to my voice and i think that is a point when someone reaches a point where they need to decide what they want to do with all that emotion and all that turmoil and i think the way i decided to go with it was actually give out my voice and say things that i mean and i wanted people to know exactly what is going around and that how it all started for me so it's a very personal issue for you from what i can understand and uh, that's a very interesting perspective that we can get from you but i'll, I'll go over the other members that i'm talking to uh, for sishir uh, personally i want to know uh, when did this issue capture your attention first if you can introduce yourself and then if you can let the listeners know when did you get involved in this issue uh, yeah sure so my name is sishir suresh mohammed and i also live and work in bangalore so this issue uh, is something that has caught my attention not only in the last two or three months but since 2016 when it was first tabled in parliament uh, i mean just for the viewers benefit uh, actually the citizenship amendment bill was tabled in part parliament in 2016 then it was sent to a parliament committee and then they modified certain clauses in the bill and it was again brought into the 15th lok sabha however the bill lapsed before uh, 
the Lok Sabha ended, so it has to be it had to be reintroduced again in this session. So, in fact, the citizenship amendment bill was on the manifesto of the BJP, and this was something they used extensively to campaign in West Bengal and Assam and so on. So, the reason it caught my attention, especially in 2016, was because of how it is the first ever law in India, first ever proposed law in India to use religion as a criteria for citizenship. Now, in 1947, when our country gained independence, those who believe that religion should be a criteria for citizenship had have went to Pakistan. Jinnah was the proponent of the two-nation theory, and he clearly believed that Hindus and Muslims could not live as one nation, which is why he proposed the two-nation theory in the first place. Now, this bill, the Citizenship Amendment Bill, is a clear validation of Jinnah's thought, and not Mahatma Gandhi or Nehru or Patel or Malana Azad who proposed a unified India. Now, for instance, if you talk personally about my experience, uh, my grandfather had the option of going to Pakistan in 1947. In fact, a few of his cousins said, you know, why are you, uh, why are you struggling so much? Why do you want to live in India when all our brothers are going to, you know, Pakistan? So he said clearly, you know, this is something I can't forget. I spoke to him last week. He said, uh, you know, religion and nationhood are not really related. I was born in India. I will live in India and I will die in India. And no one can tell me that, uh, get out of my own country. So, you right. know, that really inspired me. Exactly. So, and, you know, he was proud of India, Indian culture. And it is for that reason that he actually named my father Suresh Mohammed. You know, it's a contradictory thing. You know, people say, oh, it's a Hindu name with a Muslim name. But actually, it's an Indian name. We are Indians. We should have Indian names. Right. So, so, so that is, again, coming from a very personal place. Like, it's not coming from a very political place, which is the point I want to insist here that people who are behind uh, this movement, a lot of them do have a very personal reason why they're affected by it. It's not political forces that have been guiding this movement. It's very interesting. Lastly, I'd like to come to Aishman. Uh, Aishman, again, if you could introduce yourself and uh, let, the, uh, let the listeners know, when did you start thinking that this is a very relevant issue for us? Hi, I'm Aishman Jain. I also live and work in Bangalore. So I think um, in college, I was, in the beginning of the college, I was not that political. Like I was aware with the news, but did not have say, much of a stance then. Um, but of late, I think things have been just getting out of hand. Being neutral in the times of oppression means you're taking the side of the oppressor, which was not something I was comfortable with. So that is why we have decided to take a stand somewhere. So I've been following the news. I was very unhappy with the way the Kashmir th Article 370 issue was done. For the current issue, I think the line crossed when the Jamia violence happened on December 15th. I think uh, the major impact where this movement uh, grew into what it has become now was when the Jamia violence happened because that is my city for the most part of my life. And, you know, to imagine students, which we were students a little while back, we were students who were protesting against vehicle a little while back, and to have police brutally beat up students inside the campus, inside the library, is something that has to be condoned. I do feel that there is some kind of a momentum that has been brought up by all these events that have happened in the past. And it's just that CAA provided a tipping point for these uh, for these events. And now all that anger has been channeled into movement. What do you think about this, uh, Gobe? So as Aishwan just pointed out that 
people found reasons to take part in this movement for him it was jamia for me of course it's hasan when you go to this protest like you have been to many yeah. when you talk to the people out there what yeah. what do you say they are there for are they there for exclusively ca and are they only opposing ca or are they opposing a variety of issues including student violence including 370 including the economic uh, the economic slowdown that the government has brought upon us so when you go to these protests you'll see all kind of chants all kind of issues on all kind of people speaking up there will be people from kashmir speaking up and there will be people being very good orators for example we had a 24 hour protest recently in bangalore and that was a lot of effort to actually keep going so there will be someone coming up on the mic once in every while who would be a very good speaker so those people would have the responsibility of making sure that people are in line with what's happening wrong in this country so i i see your point there people coming to this protest i have a multitude of reasons and they are not coming there just to protest against ca ca gives a flag banner i guess an umbrella kind of a nomination for everyone to come and speak uh, sishir i wanted to talk to you about the demographics of the of the protesters that you see like gogoi said is it all people who have just entered into adulthood and have gained political consciousness or is it people from all walks of society all ages and with different levels of experience with these protests uh you know that's actually a very interesting question because going to protest itself is a huge learning experience you know i think i just want to add to the previous question before actually elaborating on this one i think a lot of youngsters especially in the early 20s i mean they're tired of just using social media as a platform for expressing their views i mean you know that has reached a certain saturation point i think and it has not created much of a difference uh so i think the next step after you know social media uh, awareness is i think getting out on the streets and actually raising your voice and you know it takes a lot of guts to move from the social media stage to the protest stage absolutely and you know it's really heartwarming to see that so many people have they mustered up the courage to actually come out on the streets and raise their voice i think that's a huge i think that's a big change in india's uh, the way the youth thinks in india right now that you know protesting has become a general thing now it's not as taboo as it used to be earlier absolutely so coming to the demographic i would say that a majority of protesters are youth within the age of i think within 30 most of them because the reason for this is also simple because they do not have families to support they do not have as many responsibilities as any other adult would so which is why if you see everywhere the protests are led by students and young adults because they do not have any responsibilities that something i also really like observe that yeah students have been in the forefront in these protests and yeah exactly how sishe said i think that's one of the reasons why most protests around the country or even movements in history have been led by students uh, while it is being led by students i think all startups of the society all demographics of the society has, uh, have been pitching in i right. think one one thing that has been different is these protests haven't been led by political parties which i think is a good thing because you know citizens have realized that it is up to them to get change about and they're not blindly depending on you know politicians to make their voices heard 
honestly i think it's very good that these are not being led by a political party but at the same time if you read about past movements which have been successful including the indian uh, independence struggle or the struggle that was uh, against the Lok, uh, lokpal bill uh, both of these were very organized politically so they had a very recognizable leader behind them gandhi uh, the former case and anna hazare in the latter and what you could see is people rallying behind the leader and the leader at the forefront and the leader was also leading very enthusiastically conducting hunger strikes and things like that there is good stuff with that the good stuff is that you have a single point of negotiation with the government and you have someone who has a vision which people rally behind but then there's also a problem that the leader itself might be corrupt so i guess there's both uh, upsides and downsides to that but i want to come to the specific goga you mean uh, you were talking about a 24 hour protest and i haven't heard about that yet so i want to talk about that for a minute or two first what was that about and when did that happen it was happened on a weekday of all things oh, nice. and that was the most surprising that people could turn up uh, it started on 6 uh, 6 pm on 7th of January and was supposed to go on till 6 p.m. of 8th of January. The kind of people who came up were real artists, and there were a lot of poems going on. Uh, so there was just sent through poems, and and then that's where you see that there will be people speaking up, and there will be people that need to be represented, and there there will be people who will take up the mantle to make sure their voices are heard. Right, but that is pretty interesting, right? You you tell me that even you know regular people, even people who are not affiliated to a particular political organization or even very popular in the society, are getting a space to talk about themselves and are getting a stage which is not seen in usual political movements where you will find the leadership occupying the stage space and everyone else probably on the listening side. So who was behind this protest that you're talking about? Who organized it? And was it just spontaneous or was it very well planned and you know thought about? so at present for example our group is associated to another umbrella organization named hum bharat ke log we the people of india and they have been instrumental in organizing a lot of protests in here in bangalore at least so they may have at least some association to what the 24 hour protest was so these are particular uh, protesters or particular people who feel they have the resources and the connections to make things happen and they've kind of come together and there are a lot of groups on whatsapp for example where they are associating and relating to each other and sharing resources and organizing these people have just come together and they found they found like minded people and now they feel very very motivated to do whatever they can for example now i'm part of another group which is uh, planning door to door awareness campaign and so that's where it all goes on right as in this is where you find people so protest that way can be taken up as an event where you find like minded people and so when you meet those people you find that your voice is not solitary you have other people you can relate to other people who can motivate you and that's what happened to our group as engineers against injustice as well right that's we finally found people that we felt that could go with our own sense of what's what is right in this country and it's really amazing that we could all come together and do what we are doing right so the interesting point that you mentioned that you know the protests of course they are are in opposition to the existing government policies and all but then they're also a good place to meet like minded people who are politically aware and who also care about the same things as you that's very interesting yeah just to add to that uh, i think one thing that is different about these protests and let's say the lokpal bill is that you don't have a stage 
Like there's right. no elevated pedestal for certain few people to sit on. Right. It's a equal opportunity for anyone to speak up and you know address the audience. And it's a grass grassroots level movement of opposition against the government. Yeah. Sort and of. I find and I find that very beautiful. Like how uh, Google put it and you know how you are putting it that it's a very democratic, truly democratic movement, not fueled by some higher uh, motives or not fueled by a political organization. I think this has not happened in India for very long. But coming to what Gogoi mentioned, your organization, Sishir, I want to talk to you more about that. Uh, when did the idea of this organization, and Gogoi, feel free to add because you know you both have started this. You know, when did you get this idea about formally channeling your anger against the uh, the CAA into an organization called Engineers Against CAA? And then how did you organize your first event that happened last week? Yeah, sure. Basically, uh, I mean, all of us were felt very strongly about the issue of CA, NRC, NPR, etc., etc. But I think a major driving force for us was that the community of engineers, which all of us are a part of. I mean, engineers were relatively dormant on this issue, and I think that is also for a multitude of reasons. Engineers are in well-placed jobs, and you know, it does not none of these issues affect engineers directly. So the one thing that frustrated us was that you know, you know, ultimately our fellow Indians are getting affected. Why should we not be bothered? And we were quite, uh, you know, we were quite disheartened by the lack of representation of engineers among these sort of movements. If you observe, I mean, the protests have included communities of lawyers, doctors, and uh, you know, art students, commerce students, and so on. But engineers have somehow been absent from this. And when I mean okay. engineers, I just don't mean engineers. I mean any sort of science or management profession, professionals and so on. Just to pause so, you here, just to pause you here, why do you think engineers have this tendency of not being politically conscious? Are they not taught the right curriculum or is it just material things that these jobs provide and they have a lot to lose on, on their uh, career side? In my opinion, I think it is the last point that you mentioned. It is primarily related to the career, I think, because most engineers, like I said, are comfortable with their jobs and they do not want their reputation to be maligned in any way by going to these protests because ultimately there is a considerable risk involved in these protests. You know, there is a risk of being detained, the risk of a case being filed against you. So no one would want to risk their entire career by going to a protest when it might not even affect them to even a small degree. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I do agree with what Sushir is saying. Like, for example, my own uh, father is as Assamese. We are being affected by what's going on. He doesn't want me to get hurt, right? So he keeps telling me that you need to be careful. You need to make sure you don't hurt your image. Make sure you don't let people know that you're doing it, and so on and so forth. So that is totally against what I believe. And yeah. I think when you say that. So the engineers, for example, are not taking part in this. I think it also goes with the kind of education we've been getting in college as well. Like, for example, in college, that's the kind of education we get where we are totally in a bubble. Like, for example, all of us are from Bispilani and we know that there the only kind of politics that we see is for me, Gen Sec or whatever posts that are there. Really benign stuff, like no nothing controversial at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like, for example, JNU where Congress or BGP have their own student bodies for going for the particular seat. Um, so unless you get involved in the SU election, I don't think you have much exposure to politics or you really care about politics. But at the same time, I think Artbits, we have been very fortunate. There are teachers in the humanities department which take wonderful, wonderful courses, which 
inform you more about your civic duties, your past. That's a great asset to have at Bits to be able to attend those lectures. Side note, like you're one of the very few who takes those courses, who took those courses seriously, and like that's why you're more informed than others. But then at the same time, a lot of the engineering uh, students will never really attend those lectures so, as seriously so as the mainstream. So, sure, so that comes down to choice, right? I think Shashi like, attended similar courses as me. See, the university can only provide you options and opportunities to attend, right? To do that yeah. or not do that is up to you at the end of yeah, the day. And it's also the culture, right? I mean, the culture in JNU would be to actually go into these political discussions and get, but probably in, in bits really, I mean, the political discussions are on a secondary level. We probably. In some, I think what is needed in our colleges and especially in high school also is a certain liberalization of the education. I mean, the word liberal has been maligned a lot in the current scenario, mm-hmm. but I think uh, the Indian education system, especially the engineering field, definitely needs to be more liberal in thought and action uh, mm. because right now what the education that we receive in colleges is exceptionally one dimensional we are only thought to think in a certain way Being that is why we don't produce the best engineers like i mean we can produce good coders we can produce good developers but we are not really producing the best innovators in the world and that's one of the reasons but not deviating too much coming back to the to the organizations that you guys started and the protest that you guys you know uh, flagged it off with sishir uh, would you like to elaborate on what happened last weekend and how did you go about organizing a uh, protest at that scale Yes, sure. So the first thing, obviously, was to brainstorm about the sort of event that we wanted to have. So initially, there were only around six or seven of us, and most of us from Bichpilani, that too. So we felt that our college had stayed away from these protests for too long, and we wanted to create a medium for engineers in general and professionals to come together. So we thought the best way to do that would be to organize a protest itself. So firstly, we thought about a particular date, and then we thought about what time might be. Uh, Uh, good for a protest like this so once we decided that we actually got into the logistics of the whole thing so planning a protest takes a lot of effort and you know it's not something that we appreciate when we read about protests in the newspapers so it firstly i think gogoi can also elaborate about this the first step is to actually go to the nearby commissioner's deputy commissioner's office we have to go and take permits uh, you have to take permits assuring that you won't do any damage that you know there won't be any violence you have to sign a bond and in our protest in fact gogoi was the one who signed the bond the bond amount is i think around 1 lakh correct me if yeah, i'm wrong gogoi so way around there yeah yeah but i would yeah. only come into force if actually some kind of a violence erupts for example pelting of stones and so forth which hmm. say thankfully hasn't happened in bangalore where police has been very cooperative along with the protesters also So it's been a very conducive atmosphere when it comes to Bangalore for sure, and that way we've been very, very lucky. Yeah, I think yeah, Bangalore protests haven't turned violent. Like I haven't heard any news of any Bangalore protests turning violent, and I think uh, we should give a shout out to Bangalore police and the protesters yeah, for so not letting much. things getting out of hand. Yeah, I would agree with that. So in fact, when you submit the application, you have to state how many people would be approximately coming to the event. what is your plan of events at the protest and also they in fact they do this in the background they actually check your past history in case you have any cases registered against you what sort of organizations you are affiliated to so it's a very thorough check that happens behind the scenes i know this because my father himself was in the civil service so uh, 
after that you are called to the deputy commissioner's office where he takes a brief interview and tries to scope out what is going to happen and then you finally get the permit yeah so while you said that the the district commissioner or the nearby commissioner gives a permit is that permit limited to a certain location or you can organize your protest wherever you want after that no no it's always limited to one particular location uh, you would only get a permit for a particular period of time in that particular location for example our our permission was from 1 pm to 3 pm so we would have to wind up by 3 pm for sure right and then, the reason they need the estimator numbers is because that is uh, that determines how many uh, uh, people they'll have to send as uh, you know as security because you know if you have a thousand people whereas you've stated only 200 people that is a major problem you might not send that much police otherwise so to ensure that the arrangements are optimum they need the estimate right so protest as the general perception is are not spontaneous they're very well planned the government already knows about them and it's not it's also not true that india has like a complete full freedom to protest about anything in any way there's like a proper channel you have to go through so that's very interesting to know but coming on to the second step like setting the agenda that like you were talking about how did that uh, how did that materialize yeah sure so once we decided that we wanted to have the protest uh, we thought about the possible modes of protest i mean there are so many modes of protest possible there is a sit in protest there is a hunger strike there is poetry music there is a, there is there is a march that you can do a lot of people burn effigies and all but we did not want to do that so we decided for a bunch of uh, uh, you know first timers like us uh, understanding the scope of protest for the first time we felt that a safe bet would be to go for musical performances and poetry because it's relatively benign you know because there is not much risk involved and we do not honestly to be honest we do not want to take that much risk even though we felt very strongly about the issue so we felt that music poetry and a few speeches here and there would be effective in sending our message across about you know ca nrc and then after setting the agenda how did you go about getting the word across getting people involved in this getting people to come there because it's it's not a very easy thing to pull off right so what was your means of communication to the to the general uh, people i think in that we have not been too successful because as can be seen from the numbers in the protest itself we still have to find out exactly how we need to target our main audience which is engineers we do have to figure out exactly how we can get across to more engineers there are people in my own circle who are speaking up now maybe because they've seen people in their own surroundings speaking up and i think that really helps normalizing that protests and going to protests is a very normal thing that you don't have to be someone who's radical to go for a protest and i think you guys going to protest and you know us seeing it from because i have not been to a protest frankly uh, till now but now that i'm seeing that people so close to me have been going to these places and you know they have been doing stuff which really matters it really a it brings it to my notice because i follow you guys closely and then the second thing is it also gives me a kind of confidence that if i go there you know there there'll be nothing wrong happening so i'm putting myself as an example but a lot of other people might have been inspired by the fact that you guys are uh, taking the step taking the first step so i guess even if you didn't have a big turnout you probably you know in the aftermath you probably informed more people than uh... gogoi rightly said that it sort of helps normalize protesting your your our education system has 
always focused on us following people instead of raising questions. Mm-hmm. Even one person going on to protest sort of normalizes showing Sorry. dissent and expressing your views amongst their circle and I am sure that will gradually grow and like it will normalize it against a broader audience. But someone has to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. I think people generally like come up as people who listen to other people. For example, you've grown up in the view that whatever your parents say is what should be followed. And some people live their whole lives in that direction, right? Especially in India where we have our own morals and principles and values where you're supposed to respect your elders and that uh, you live in that particular ideology all your life and where anything you say against a higher authority is wrong. So you never learn dissent as such. And so if you don't learn dissent in your own home, you'll never learn dissent when it comes to expressing it against the outer body that is the government. Mm -hmm. And so that's why a lot of people fail to see that dissent does not mean that you're being anti-national, for example. I think that's very interesting because I've always wondered how the institution of family translates into a societal structure, which is like based on the same lines and you put it very rightly there if there is no dissent in the family or there is no scope for questioning uh, in the family there is going to yeah. be if a reflection of that in our society in general where we take a father figure like the prime minister and never question him but Sushil, yeah. you were trying to add add something to my point uh, go ahead yeah so you were asking about how we got the message across and the publicity etc so I want to just add that, uh, you know, in our context, it was extremely crucial to collaborate with other organizations. I mean, we didn't have a strong supporter base of our own, which is why, especially in all these protests, it's extremely important to collaborate with other organizations. For instance, Gogai talked about Hambharat Ke Log, or We the People of India. So they played a crucial role in publicizing our protest. They have acted as the umbrella organization so far for a lot of the anti-CA and RC protests. That's nice. So, so we uh, approached them and asked them to spread the message. We also approached a few other people. Like there is a woman called Prajakta Kuvalekar. She is heading a women's organization in Bangalore. And she's been at the forefront of many of the uh, Burkha Bindi protests, which have been highlighting how women are going to be impacted by NRC and CA and so on. So basically, we tied up with a lot of these other organizations and that really helped us to spread the message across. And I think that's a very good point you put across because, you know, starting uh, a protest of your own, if you even if you have a little bit of a different interest or a little bit of a different mindset than the larger organization in general, it's always good to be, you know, associated with some larger organization and get direction from there, maybe even get guidance from there. So, Sushir, I... I saw a video of you today only uh, reciting the preamble and you know uh, others following along. I want to know that during the protest, what made you think that the preamble would be the best thing to start with? Like, where does that come from? Because this has been happening across India, but I have never seen this before, this series of anti-CA events. So why is the constitution and specifically the preamble of the constitution so important here? So... You know, ultimately, whatever said and done, this entire fight against the CA, the NRC, the NPR, all this violence, it is basically, in a sense, a fight for the constitutional values. You know, our constitution stands for the values of equality, secularism, fraternity, social justice. So, and the preamble is the cornerstone of the Indian constitution because it represents what the constitution is all about. I mean, that one page document tells you all about the essence of the constitution. So, the preamble is a very powerful message to 
send out at any protest because right. it represents that for us constitutional values are what right. are most important in india for us it is the fight for equality the fight for secularism the fight for social right. justice that matter the most and when you take an oath on the preamble you are reaffirming your belief in the values that led to the creation of india in 1947 from what i understand this basically you know the fact that the ca is being deemed anti constitutional unconstitutional the preamble actually is the best way to enforce the fact that you, people still believe in the constitution and you know there's still voices which will fight for it when you organize the protest things could go violent right there are pro- uh, yeah, protesters yeah. who are really charged up there is people who are you know out on emotions high on emotions i would say what's your recommendation for a person organizing a protest to keep them in control and to ensure that you know the crowd doesn't go out of uh, since you have also been to a lot of protests you could shed some light on this yeah uh, so for example i was bonded for this particular protest and i need to know exactly what was going on and i knew that i had the responsibility for example here to make sure that we had a peaceful gathering and uh, we have already seen on tv uh, that it could go very very wrong and where even placards giving out the wrong message has led to fir's against the organizing committee uh, be very careful about the placards that you allow in your particular protest the kind of message that you relay the even the chance that you have that you are using it's kind you of a content that. moderation exercise right like you're yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, see yeah. where yeah. are people you're doing the same job as the police right you're trying to see people who are potentially dangerous for the protest itself yeah. and you're trying to at least suppress those voices which could make it dangerous yeah wait just just to add to that um, i'd like to make a note to people going to protest stay away from violence and do not indulge in violent acts because you know actions of a few are used to discredit entire movements and mm. you know you could have 1000 people at a protest and four people indulge in violence would discredit the entire protest entire message of 1000 people um and that is what is being used by the state to discredit a lot of these uh, protests so i think it's very important to not get violent even if the state chooses violent measures and to prevent them from happening because then you lose the moral high ground that you have so very interesting point because today only i was listening to an interview uh, it is a political scientist from colombia and he was talking about in a different context he was talking about cycles of extrajudicial violence and it can happen from both the sides you know extrajudicial violence from uh, the side of the protesters can result in extrajudicial extrajudicial violence from the side of the police or even from the sides of the political parties who are in power and that could actually result in more chaos than people could actually handle and you know concluding this discussion uh, i would like to know that if you were to envision an end for this movement today what would that be where is the where is the end game here so that's a very complicated answer because people do want the overturning of the caa which is going to be very hard unless the supreme court actually does rule in our favor so that's the only line of hope we have right now but if that goes down i think it may lead to a lot of uh, turbulence across the country i feel that checkpoint one right now is 22nd of january where we'll get an idea of how long this movement has to go on whether or not all of these changes that we want will come into place in exactly the way we want to is very much up for discussion and may not actually come through but all i can take from this movement is the fact that i saw 
people come together for things that they believed in and not for vested interests. And I finally see the youth and I believe when people say that we are the future, I saw it this time and I think that's where this will actually lead in a tangible result where you have the youth who feel empowered and who feel that they are the voice of tomorrow. What I'm understanding is that there is a direct goal, there is a, you know, real push to bring down the CAA, maybe put pressure on the Supreme Court to do that, or maybe, you know, put pressure on the existing government to dilute the act somehow. But then ultimately, this is not just about that, right? There is a multitude of issues that are involved. And ultimately, this is about changing the political narrative about being complacent with these things and getting people to question stuff and especially starting with the students. Aishman, do you think overturning of the CA is the only goal here or do you think there is a broader message that the protesters are trying to give here? Um, so I think the mobilization happened because of CA and the fears of potential misuse using NRC. But I think there is a broader goal, right? Our government has not engaged with the public at all. Honorable Prime Minister and the Home Minister have had a record of almost exchange in power and yet there have been no press conferences held. Uh, their interviews have been to very specific news houses. It just seems like this government this government has taken a line where they're not willing to listen to the public. You know, the Honorable Home Minister recently said that there is no way we will go back on CA. And that is really troublesome because at the end of the day, you are elected representatives of the right. people. You are representatives of the people and yet you're not willing to engage with the people. And that is something that is really troubling. If I can sense the pulse here, it's not just about the CA. What is happening here is this is basically a restructuring of our democratic process, which has yeah. been hammered a lot in the last five years. People are trying to make sure that there is a valid opposition. The government is not taking everything for granted. And which is the thing that every protest is supposed to do. Like not every protest will result in you know complete change of political systems. But I guess this protest will, if uh, if it doesn't uh, lead to a complete change in political system, it will at least lead to people uh, questioning the government more and the government not taking everything for granted in the future. So I think that's that's a very fundamental uh, goal in any democracy to keep the government on its feet. And finally, before we conclude the discussion, Gogoi, do you have a message for the listeners that you would like to tell them? So uh, we are. Uh a group named Engineers Against Injustice and the mission statement that we have right now is to get as many engineers for example to get uh, a feel of what protests are and for them to actually come up and uh, take part in this protest that we are organizing or anyone else is organizing and you can connect to us on Instagram using the tag that is Engineers Against or you can connect to us on Twitter as well Right, and we'll also put links uh, for your uh, Instagram and Facebook pages uh, on on our podcast description so that people can refer to that. Other than that, I think good more power to you guys who have been actually participating in this movement. And I would like to do as much as possible to get these voices uh, at uh, the forefront and like try to speak up through whatever means I have.